Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Serendi Caldwell. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. I apologize. My voice sounds gross. I got a little bit of a post-travel conference thing going on, but uh, I'm here, and uh, I have enough cold medicine to (laughs) reanimate an army of zombies, so I'm ready to do a show. I should probably steal some of that from you because I have a <laughs> similar thing, though not post-conference. It's post-visiting uh, two-month-old cousin. Which turns oh, out yeah. visiting babies makes you sick. <laughs> yeah, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a lot of great stuff today. I want to talk to you about your iPad review, uh, but we're going to start with iOS notifications and do not disturb that whole that whole world. So this yeah. topic kind of kicked off with a question from Gary. Uh, who said, I frequently share my iPad screen with coworkers during the workday. Is there a way to silence any and all potentially embarrassing notifications while the device is in use? Good question. It's a good it is question. a great question. Um, and uh, there is, uh, but not the one that you would think it is, uh, which is to say that Apple builds in this wonderful feature called Do Not Disturb, uh, which silences pretty much all notifications Uh, However, it doesn't always silence everything, and that's mostly due to how you have contacts set up as favorites or not favorites. Uh, There are certain settings you can tweak, uh, but uh, unfortunately, as much as I love Do Not Disturb and I use it a ton, uh, I kind of discovered when I was doing some screen recording for the aforementioned iPad review uh, that that Do Not Disturb doesn't, doesn't close off everything, not so much. You know, it's something that I I kind of go back and forth on. So like on my iPad, it is always in Do Not Disturb. Not because I'm screen sharing a lot like, like Gary is, but just I don't use my iPad as a primary device. And so it may be several hours or even a couple of days between the times I pick it up. And I don't want it to be playing catch up with those notifications or I open it and, you know, the lock screen is just full of stuff. So that is always on Do Not Disturb. I have very few notifications on uh, on my iPad whatsoever. But on my phone, which is some days my primary computer if I'm out of the office, I have a lot of notifications on. And uh, I probably have fewer than most people, but I still, I feel like I have a lot. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, like my feeling is that the notification system Apple gives, it's great because there's so much customization, but it's terrible because there's so much customization. Like you have to, you just have to, you have to go in and hone these things down over time. And, you know, for me, when, uh, when an application, you know, ask, Hey, can I give you some notification? My first answer is always no. And then if I realize there's something that app could benefit from having notifications, then I allow it by default to like, no, being the answer on my iPhone. And, you know, so you got to kind of go through there and sort through those things. And you, you may find stuff that you don't actually need notifications for. Or maybe uh, maybe there's a balance where if you do this a lot, maybe you just have the badge notification come on and you don't have the notification itself roll down from the top and, you know, show that potentially embarrassing text message from somebody. But maybe the messages icon, just that badge just goes up. And maybe that works on your iPad, but on your iPhone, you want to see them. You know, I think... One thing is worth thinking about is treating these devices differently and looking at how you use it and what you do things on. You know, I have a lot of apps, I'm sure everyone does, that are the same on my iPad and iPhone. And then I have some apps that I treat very differently on each of those devices. So um, spend some time in those settings and uh, and you can maybe see what's going on. One thing I thought that was also interesting that I played with a little bit was 
screen sharing. So if you have an Apple TV on your network, you can mirror the display of an iOS device or Mac to that Apple TV. And it's really handy. And I see a lot of these in conference rooms. And uh, I use it even at home sometimes. Like if we want to watch something that's just on the iPad, uh, you know, like a little video I shot or, you know, something I'm working on the kids want to see. It's really nice. However, on iOS, that does not force the device into do not disturb mode. But on the Mac, it does. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know that why those two things are different. Oh, boy. <laughs> but at least at least I'll give Apple this. At least entering do not disturb, while it's not perfect, is very simple on iOS. Just find a control center whatever, wherever it is on your device. You know, if you have an iPhone 10, it's in a weird place. And uh, you can set that little icon. You can also set it uh, on a timer. So, like, I have my iPhone enter do not disturb probably around 9 or 10 p.m. And it comes out, do not disturb at 7 a.m. And again, I have some settings to like, if someone calls me more than once or someone on my favorites list calls me, then it comes through. Like that list is very short for me. And I know that if any of those people call me after 10 p.m., they're not doing it just to see what I'm up to. There's something that they feel. Just for a social feel, call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not just like, hey, how's your day? Uh, something has happened that they need me. And, um, and I trust the system and I trust those people that that's kind of how it's going to work. But yeah, Gary, it's just, I think it's a lot of like back and forth and kind of figuring out what works. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. And it's interesting that you say that you don't have notifications on your iPad because I actually don't either. Um, I have my messaging notifications, but that's about it. Uh, and ironically, those are the ones that frequently slip past do not disturb. Uh, but I do, I do really like the concept of do not disturb. And I'm kind of hoping that Apple improves upon that in future years. And, um, fun, fun, hot tip on this podcast for do not disturb. If you don't want to dig into control center and you have a device that uses Siri, you can always say Siri, turn on do not disturb. And it will automatically do that for your devices. It's like a fun thing. Siri can do a surprising amount of, uh, little fiddly settings, tweaks like that. Huh. Um, yeah, that yeah. It's like talking to Siri for other things. Um, and best of all, Siri most of the time understands what you want for this query because it's simple mm. enough. Right. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one other thing I think that I have started doing uh, on iPad when I'm recording my screen, which is not quite sharing your screen, but uh, similar prospects, um, I actually go into settings and flip the master notification switch off. So essentially, it saves all of my individual notification settings, but by switching that master switch off, it basically just kills everything until I turn that switch back on. And it's it's a little bit of a, you know, it's it's a worst case scenario, and you really do have to remember to turn it back on. I once went two days on my iPhone without turning on notifications, and it was glorious, but I missed so many things. <laughs> uh, so that's that's kind of one one option. Yeah. Uh, I do think there's room for Do Not Disturb to be smarter. You know, maybe this doesn't help Gary necessarily, but in thinking about this world, you know, it would be it would be cool if iOS could use things like location. It already uses time of day pretty well, but maybe calendar stuff, you know, giving it more inputs so it it knows, should I be in Do Not Disturb mode or not? So like maybe I want uh, I want it to be in Do Not Disturb Anytime I'm at, I'm at the office, like, so the phone knows my location mm -hmm. and Hey, if I'm in this area, turn it off and when I leave, turn it back on, you know, they're doing that in the car with a bunch of, of really smart stuff. Is it connected to a car or not? Is it traveling mm -hmm. a certain speed or not? I think we talked on the show yeah. 
where I, I was setting it off on my, uh, on my road bike, like <laughs> riding my bike, I'd, I'd trip it. So like, they're already doing some more of this, but I think there's more room there. And yes, like it'd be more settings and more toggles, but I think a lot of people would like for the phone to say, oh, if there's a calendar event with the word meeting in it on, you know, it's active on the calendar in this time period I am in, I should be in do not disturb, or I should be in silent mode, you know, giving, giving people the option because, you know, we've all been in that situation that Gary uh, describes where, you know, someone else has your device and something comes in that's maybe embarrassing. Maybe you just don't want to share, or you didn't realize it's not on silent mode or not on do not disturb. And it goes off at an inopportune time in a meeting or an appointment or something. So uh, I just, I would like to see this kind of, um, evolve as time goes on. I think there's room for it to do so without it being overwhelming. I believe so completely. And it's interesting because, you know, Apple kind of teased this with proactive um, back in iOS 9, 10, is it 9? I'm trying to remember the the time when they're like, yes, apps will intelligently show up in your bottom corner and, yeah, I think and your phone will be smarter. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of just I think it's still going on as a project inside Apple, but it kind of went away as being so much of a core feature. Uh, And I feel like Do Not Disturb kind of fits squarely into that, which is just being aware contextually of what's going on and when. I think your meetings idea is a great great thought. Um, And honestly, the the Mac going into Do Not Disturb when sharing to a Apple TV, I feel like that's a great that's a great example of the kind of thing that I would love. I would love that for any time I'm doing screen recording, for instance. Yeah. And I know some people want screen recording because they want to record like the little drop down bubbles and all mm-hmm. of that. And maybe there's a switch or a toggle or something like that. But I do, I really do think that when you're talking about sharing your personal devices screen with other people, there should be controls on that front uh, because we really, we really don't want to um, show show our personal notifications to the world. Yeah. So. Give us some more sound example. That's all we want. All right. So we got a lot more to talk about. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company that offers uptime monitoring and web performance management. You're more familiar with Pingdom than you may think because Pingdom is helping keep your favorite sites online like Evernote, BuzzFeed, Netflix, Relay.fm. If you've used any of those sites recently and you've not run into any trouble, you may have, th- you may have Pingdom to thank for that. See, websites are pretty sophisticated now. You know, when I was in college, I learned like, HTML and Flash, it's way more complicated than that now. You've got contact forms and e-commerce checkouts and logins and search functionality and lots more. And Pingdom lets you check the availability of all those little functions so you can see if just one part of your site is acting up. You don't have to wait for the entire site to go down because they care about all those important interactions that your users want to have with your website. It's easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL that you want to monitor and they take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM right now for a 14 day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code query at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and relay FM. So you did this really incredible review of the new 9.7 inch iPad. I was lucky enough you were sending me clips of this as you were doing it. <laughs> and and I had all these questions and all these things I want to talk about, but I held it off for the show. So there are links in the show notes. If you haven't seen this yet, go take a couple minutes and watch it. Um, you also wrote it up over on iMore about some of the tools you were using and sort of somehow your workflow was. So I want to talk about that stuff, but I also want to talk about like the process for you 
uh, as uh, as an editor and as a creator on taking a project like this on. And one thing that struck me was, I mean, this is a great device, but it's not a, it's not necessarily like a flagship device, but I know you're really excited about it. It's like, what kind of goes into the decision-making to do such an in-depth project on sort of a run-of-the-mill iPad? Yeah, so... Honestly, my sort of the germ of the idea came when I went to when I was sitting in the auditorium for Apple's education event. And um, if you either followed along with the live blogs or you saw some of the pictures afterwards, uh, Apple did this event a little bit differently than they have done past iPad events. And it was, you know, it was all done in a high school. Um, and the slides, which kind of made the biggest impact for me, all of the slides were hand drawn. And they were clearly done by some ace calligrapher uh, that Apple hired, um, probably Seb Lester, but I'm not I'm not positive on that. Uh, it just look, kind of looks like his style. Uh and they were beautiful. They were some of the some of the coolest product marketing stuff that Apple's put forward. And for the like, I have been bullish on iPad as a as a device specifically for creation, not just consumption. Pretty much since 2010, like I was one of the first people being like, "Hey, look, people are making styluses for this thing. You can draw, maybe." Like I've been for people who don't know, I, I've been on a whack like a Wacom user since I was 12 or 13, and I'm like digital drawing for me. I feel like that that was one of like my cornerstones growing up in tech. Is that I'm it's a it's a really interesting field. So to for Apple to kind of stake so strongly, like, hey, we believe not only is the the pencil and the iPad, they're fantastic, but they're so fantastic, we're bringing them to the entry-level model, and we're going to really show off what you can do on that entry-level model during this presentation. It made me think, it's like, well, we're constantly reviewing iPads based on, like, what's different from the previous year, and... I even read some of the early ones, uh, including Renee's own, which is just kind of like, yeah, it's an iPad. Um, and it's pretty much very similar to 2017, except it has a faster processor and it has a pencil now. And everybody's kind of just breezing over the has a pencil now. Uh, just kind of like, yep, this is another feature that the iPad has. But it's still, you know, people are like, well, I wish iPad would be like $199 for schools and I wish it would be a little bit cheaper. And here I am in the corner going like, They've brought one of the best stylus tools in decades to a machine that, with the stylus, costs less than $500 in the United States. Like, here I am, and my little, like, internal 13-year-old mind is being blown. Uh, because, you know, this is l- literally, this was the device that I wanted as a 12, 13-year-old. Like, this this is it, it exactly. Um, so I I kind of took that internal feeling and said, okay, well... Clearly, this device is touching me in a way that, like, it's not really resonating with other people, and I really want to give an actual reason why that, like, why I'm feeling so strongly about this, not just talking with my words, because I could write 5,000 words on why I think the iPad is a really interesting all-purpose education device, and people would come back to, yeah, but it's not $199. Uh, So instead, I'm like, all right. Uh, Apple did a really interesting thing, taking on, like, actually showing kind of what the iPad could do by doing their presentation on the iPad. So what if I use all of these tools that Apple has been showing off, including their new keynote presentation and the new GarageBand stuff that they showed off on stage? I'm like, what if my review was just trying to make a review of the iPad using their tools? <laughs> and and it, it kind of exploded from there. Yeah, I was skimming through it. Um as you were talking and what really impressed me about it is just how many 
different apps went into this, how many different tools and things you use. Like you're doing a screen recording and then it backs out to a screenshot of what you just saw and you're writing on the screenshot in the markup tools. Um, you've got video overlaid in here. It's all edited on an iPad. You know, and for, for me, like we've talked about this before, but I mean, like I'm a creator, I do podcasts, I do writing, I do videos, and I do it all in the context and on my iMac Pro because that's sort of the, it's been the tool I've always used. And in my mind, I've always thought, well, the iPad doesn't offer me the things that I need. And it may be true that that it, it offers them all, but in a different way. And I think that that's what this video has left me with. I mean, down to the music you did, uh, in garage band mm-hmm. <laughs> on the iPad, like every single thing was done without, without touching a Mac. And for me, at least as someone who's very Mac centric in their workflow, that was really eye opening. Yeah. And this is honestly something that I kept on pushing myself during the review because I knew like when I started, I had some like base tools that I was comfortable with. I did a screen recording, uh, of, uh, Linea, which is the drawing app that I use for the majority of the review. Uh, when I first reviewed Linea last year, this was right after Apple had introduced screen recording in iOS 11. Um, and Linea at the time didn't have a time-lapse draw feature the way that Procreate did. But I'm like, hmm, maybe I can like do this uh, with screen record and then also show off the, the app uh, and its features. And it ended up being really fun. And I really enjoyed doing that. So uh, when it came time to tackle this, I was like, well, obviously, I'm going to use Linea. I'm going to use screen record. Um, but then I started thinking about the other things that I wanted to show off, you know, and it's uh, this, obviously like the stuff that Apple showed off on screen. I think those are the biggest things for me. Um, and one of the things that kind of blew my mind when they showed it is they're showing uh, all of the keynote features, right? And they're like, oh, you can draw in keynote. And I'm like, well, that's cool. You can illustrate. And then they're like, no, no, you, d- you don't just draw in keynote. You can line draw, which essentially is a time-lapse drawing feature that you can then animate. And also you can combine this with match move so that your animations will move places, Um, and the iPad is something that historically has not had great animation software. And believe me, this keynote feature is not a replacement for an animation piece, but this kind of stuff is very cool for, for storyboarding, um, for adding kind of heightened, heightened experiences to a presentation. And I'm like, well, I can just screen originally, actually, I wanted to export the keynote as, uh, the keynote as a movie file. Uh, but I turned. It turns out that Apple does not allow that on iOS. So instead, I just screen. Rec- I previewed it and screen recorded the the preview of the <laughs> thing to get that into my video. Um, so I like. I use that. Um, they showed on stage, you know, making the new toy box suite and like specifically the space toy box suite, which I did not use, would, but is really really cool. Apple basically offers all of these digital loops that you can then play with in various time signatures and you can change the time signature. Uh, once you've recorded the loops, you can mess around with them and shorten or lengthen them. Um, but what I was really, really impressed by on the GarageBand side, this is something I really just did very last minute. Originally, I was just planning to just get something off of YouTube's creative audio library or the CC library. Um, but then I was like, oh, wait, you can you can record music at GarageBand. Maybe I can like tinker out something on the piano. And then I remembered the the toy box suite. Um, and it's it's all of these loops. And they're so easy. Like, n- maybe it's easy for me because I have a music background. But I was really, really impressed at how easy it was to 
build what I felt was, you know, not complex, complex, but like more than just four notes on a keyboard, um, a, a background music track that I could, you know, use pretty seamlessly uh, with with my presentation. And it was really cool, like really, it only took me something like two hours to make from start to finish. And I had never like, I'm like you, Stephen, in that like a lot of the, especially the podcast and music side, a lot of that stuff I almost exclusively use on my Mac. So I hadn't opened up GarageBand in probably two to three years, let alone GarageBand for iOS. So to be able to basically open up GarageBand for my for iOS from scratch and build a background music track in two hours, like that, that blew my mind, honestly, like a lot of a lot of these things. Um, while I was creating it, I'm like, let's see if this will work. Oh, this will work. Holy crow. This is actually really fun to do. Why haven't I not done this, you know, forever? <laughs> what, uh, so you talked a little bit about some of the animation move, move stuff and the line drawing. What was the, the hardest part of this? What section really did you have to sit back and think about how to, how to get done? How to pull it all together. Honestly. So, I knew pretty much off the bat when I found that Steve Jobs recording from his um, from his speech in Sweden, I knew off the bat that that was going to be kind of the the core role there, uh, because I thought it was really interesting how you know you have the the company's founder in 1985 essentially talking about the same thing that the iPad is going through just a few decades earlier. Uh, so I knew that was going to be my my core background. It was easy enough to pull all of that stuff. Uh, but once I had edited about four minutes of it together, I realized I had this kind of in the back of my head. I'm like, well, Serenity, you've made a really good school report. You know, you're really you're you're showing off uh, <laughs> the a really good analysis, like under the hood analysis piece. Um, but you should also figure out a way to make this feel more of a review. <laughs> so I I really mm-hmm. had to kind of stop it, I would say, midway through the process and reanalyze and say, okay, how am I actually going to split this mm-hmm. up? Um, and how am I going to tie this all together? And I ended up like adding these extra sections. Uh, and it's the the screenshots came at the very end where the the where you're looking at the iMovie timeline and then you see a screenshot of the the screen that goes up into the markup view. Um, I kind of stumbled on that by accident. By t- I took a screenshot, but literally by accident, while I was uh, I was trying <laughs> to brainstorm like how are my title cards going to, to going to go. And I took the screenshot, and I'm like, wait a second, what if this were the title card? <laughs> like, what if we just we keep on pulling you out, and it's like Inception Inception workflow. Um, but that was actually very, that was very tricky from a editing perspective. Um, because essentially what I had to do was have the, have the movie finished, um, then play the thing in iMovie, stop it at the proper moment to take a screenshot, um, do all of the various, uh, iterations of the title card in that screenshot, uh, and believe me, the f- the first version of like this is the screenshot. Uh, I probably redid those like fifteen twenty times. Um, so what I ended up getting was something like a forty five minute um, a forty five minute screen record, and then I would take it into a third party video editor called LumaFusion, which is amazing by the way. It's a little bit buggy and not like it's more Premiere than Final Cut for my tastes, but 
the sheer amount of stuff that you're allowed to do with it is great. And one of the things that you can do in LumaFusion is speed up to six times as opposed to speeding up to just two in iMovie. So I would speed up my 45-minute clip six times, um, and then I would essentially have to scroll through it and find the exact moment to cut um, so that I could cut out the, like, 30 minutes of problems uh, and, like, fake false starts and then delete that and then also tighten up. I had a lot of spare line marks where I would, like, draw the same T three times and be like, well, this is not working. So I'd have to, you know, do these little cuts and take out the first two T attempts and then make it so it looks like that first T that I drew was was the perfect T. Wow. (laughs) Um, And that's, you know, what that's my perfection more than anything else. Uh, I And there are still things in there when I I look at that, I'm like, I could have fixed that. Why is there that spare line mark? But at a certain point, you just kind of have to step back and be like, yep, yep, this is okay. So yeah, the um, the time lapse stuff I think is the was really the hardest um, to make it work appropriately because I had to figure out how fast, uh, especially with the writing in the latter part of that video, how fast to make it without um, without being too fast for the reader to catch it or too slow so that the reader's just staring and be like, all right, where's your next letter? Where's your next word? <laughs> Uh, and, uh, LumaFusion, as I mentioned, it goes up to six times. Um, but oftentimes what I ended up doing is I would make all of my cuts. I would speed it up to six times and then I would export that clip and re-import it into LumaFusion and then speed up certain sections on top of that. Uh, so essentially I already took the six times video and then I would speed that six times video, like certain sections up to like 12 times and certain sections just to like three times or something like that. Um, and it's like, gotcha. it's, you know, it works. Uh, I really wish that both iMovie and LumaFusion would have more speed options. Because I mean, like I'm used to Final Cut where you can do like, <laughs> you can do unlimited type. Exactly. You, you can type in and everything works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's probably like the biggest, still the biggest pain point for here is that I was able, I have a lot of experience with iMovie for iOS and a decent experience, a decent amount of experience with LumaFusion. And I was able to like work through its their various kinks and bugs um, pretty seamlessly. But I feel like someone new coming to the platform trying to do what I did in, in iMovie or LumaFusion might find themselves a, a little bit frustrated because there are bugs mm-hmm. and weird things like the speed, the speed uh, explainer that... Uh, that can trip you up if you don't know how to work around them. And that's where I think, Stephen, like, there are still things that I prefer on the Mac. Like, I'm really grateful that I was able to cut something mm-hmm. entirely on the iPad. It's really cool to be able to do that. Um, and I still th- – I think I probably would stay on the iPad if I was cutting another iPad review only because mm-hmm. the – amount of time that it takes to move 45 minutes of uh, 4K video to a Mac and then open it up in Final Cut and then render that video versus iMovie and LumaFusion because of the A10 basically just render it instantly. So there's no there's no waiting for the rendering. There's no, you know, or even background rendering. You know, it's your computer or your device isn't slowing down. Uh, so like that, those are kind of the the pros for editing 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 uh video that you take on that device mm-hmm. uh, but i do i really yeah. want more tools for my movie and i really want more tools from Louis fusion like if final cut for ios came out at wwdc i think i would not have another ipad complaint for like a year i would just be so happy i'd be like yes <laughs> my only my main workflow yeah. problem yeah the thing that really keeps me from that cause, like i know the the 
A10 and A11 chips, like all the the custom silicone Apple's doing is really fine-tuned for a lot of video work, and it can just chew through that footage. But if your footage is on an SD card, like mine is, not shooting on the iPad itself, then you've got to get it onto the device. Same thing if you want to edit in Ferrite, edit a podcast in Ferrite, like Jason Snell does a lot. You have to get those files onto the iPad. And that's, I think, like a big uh, hill for a lot of people to climb that Apple should make make easier. We've talked a lot about it where you have the SD card adapter that should be available in files. And I can drag things that I've shot on a camera over to the iPad and then edit on the iPad and then take them back off via the SD card if I want. So I think there's the apps need to get there, but I feel like there's a lot of like file system, file management stuff that if you're not shooting on the device you're editing on, you also have to contend with, uh, unless you just want to wait around for, you know, iCloud photo library to sync a bunch of stuff, which can, can be slow if you're doing with a lot of 4K footage. Yeah, that's that's not so much that's not so fun. Uh, I I completely agree with you. Mm. It's so <laughs> it's super frustrating to try and work with video cross device. And I do like I use AirDrop quite a lot um, between my Mac and my iPhone, uh, but unfortunately, it just it gets really. Really frustrating, especially if you've shot um, you've shot video natively using the HEVC codec. This is a always a fun thing. It's less so now that all of my devices are running the latest versions of iOS and High Sierra, but <clears throat> when my iPhone and iPad were on iOS uh, were on iOS 11, and uh, my Mac was still on Sierra. Uh, I would get this horrible, horrible converting message. So like a 30-second piece of 4K footage, which would normally transfer to my Mac in about a minute, now took 12 minutes to transfer because it had to convert it all back to MP4 and then send that. It It was just such a headache. So I'm glad that that's not so much of a big deal. Um, when when we're dealing with cross transfer between things on the same level, but yeah, just TLDR. I wish it was easier. It could be so awesome because yeah. the chips are so well designed for it. But we need software. And we need better onboarding and offboarding processes. Cool. Well, yeah, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's really, uh, it's really great. Congratulations on it. It's really awesome. Thank you. It's fun to make. All right, so we're gonna answer some listener questions, but first, I want to tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Query is brought to you in part by our friends at Hover. Building your online identity has never been more important. And with Hover, you can find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. So preparation today's show, I logged into my Hover account. I've used Hover well before Relay FM was even a thing. And the first thing that I have registered in my Hover account is 512pixels.net, the URL to my blog. I registered that with Hover for the very first time way back in 2011, when I renamed my blog to 512pixels. The original name was something different. And just scrolling through this this account, looking at that, looking at all the, you know, the other domains I've registered that are kind of close to it, or, you know, maybe if someone just says it and they don't know how it's spelled, different ways to do it, uh, looking at all those really uh, brought a smile to my face because I really care about that site. It's going to be 10 years old this year. And uh, Hover has made evolving that site and looking at my DNS records, like all my email and everything, uh, makes all that possible and and really easy. So when I had the the idea for the brand, went to Hover, searched for it, found that it was available. And because of their great privacy 
stuff. You know, you can go in and say, hey, I don't want my information available on the Whois database. So if you look at the Whois information for my URL, you're not going to have my phone number. You're not going to have my home address. And that's really important to me. It's also a super amazing experience if you need to get in touch with their customer support team. They have great support documents, but if you reach out to them, you talk to a real person who knows what they're doing. So if you run into a question like something about forwarding or DNS, like those things can be confusing and complicated. They know what they're talking about and they can walk you through it. I have a lot of stuff in Hover. Uh, looking through this, probably too many things in Hover, uh, you know, a bunch of domains that I've registered over the years. And uh, it's just, there's not a better place to do it on the web. If you want to show the world what you're passionate about, Hover is there to help you make that first step. Head over to hover.com slash query and get 10% off your first purchase. Before you know it, you'll be looking back like me with a whole bunch of domains registered there. Thank you to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. And that brings us to the speed run. All right, Stephen, I've got a question for you from Kyle. They want to know what is the best way to clean a nylon Apple watch band? So uh, I've got a couple links for you. Uh, Apple has uh, a link about cleaning your Apple watch itself, as well as a bunch of the bands. Um, this is the sort of, <laughs> I remember this document like made the rounds a couple years ago when people realized that sometimes you get like debris in the digital crown and you could just <laughs> stick it under the sink and wash it, which is uh, the first time you do it, your brain is freaking out, uh, but totally fine to do. Um, and they have some information about the bands. So uh, for the leather bands and then kind of everything else, talking about using uh, non-abrasive cloths, you know, lightly dampen them. Um, there's also an article in the show notes over uh, to iMore that has um, a bunch of stuff in here. Um, again, you know, showing what Apple says to do. You know, that is like don't go crazy, right? Like you're not scrubbing them to death with a with a I don't know a piece of uh, you know sponge or something that's really hard. You want to be gentle with them. Um, but uh, I've you know gotten mine dirty over the years, and they come clean really pretty easily. Yeah, I. Uh... I am surprised, actually. It's been really... I, I had Micah do a, or kind of do a how-to on this for, for iMore, and he posted all of these quick pictures. I was like, oh, actually, this is these steps aren't too hard. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's great. And of course, that article is uh, written by our friend Micah Sargent, who is the... Uh, I guess he's on the cleaning your your devices beat at iMore, because he also <laughs> has the article about cleaning AirPods, which I think about every time I have to clean my AirPods, so... Ugh, Mike is doing so the gross. dirty work over at iMore, I guess. He is. He's doing the dirty work so that all of us can be squeaky clean. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see what, what is up next. Uh, we have a question from Eric. Uh, I have a Gmail account, uh, and I use that email address as my Apple ID. And I'm wondering if there's a way to get my Apple ID changed over to an iCloud email address. Is this possible? Any tips or suggestions? In fact, it is. Um, and like with the last question, we have a couple of different uh, support documents to send you to, as well as an imore.com article. Um, Apple actually has a really nice how-to for changing your Apple ID. Uh, and thankfully, the third-party email address is probably the simplest. Uh, so if you have a Gmail account and you want to change it to over an iCloud or a me.com um, account, um, that's pretty simple. Uh, and the biggest thing I think is that you you want to make sure that you have all of the devices that you've previously logged into and log out of all of them. 
uh, because otherwise they're going to do a major freak out when you change your email account. And uh, the like I've gotten I once changed a, a testing account uh, for one of my iPads and the iPad wouldn't stop prompting me for a password for like. 20 days, even when I signed everything out and then signed it back in, it was still like, well, what about this Gmail account? I'm like, chill, calm, calm. Uh, So you can change your Apple ID to either um, an existing iCloudMe.com or Mac.com email address um, that's associated with your account. Um, Or if you don't have any of those, you can enter a different third-party email address. Uh, So... And I should note that associated with your account, um, you can create these email addresses uh, and you can go to appleid.apple.com to do that. So if you don't have an iCloud.com account and you want to see if you can get one, uh, that's the best way to do it. Uh, To actually change your Apple ID, um, you can essentially go into, uh, I think the easiest way is honestly via your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch. Uh, So log out of all of your devices except for one. Then go to settings um, and find your account number. Then go to name, phone numbers, and email. Uh, where it says reachable at, you're going to tap the edit button and then delete your current Apple ID. I know it's scary, but <laughs> have faith. Um, after you press continue, you're going to enter in the new Apple ID that you want to use and then press next. And that will update everything. You can also do it on appleid.apple.com. Um, there's a button under the Apple ID section that says change Apple ID. Uh so when the the biggest thing also to note is that when you change your Gmail account Apple ID to a different Apple ID, um, especially if you change it to an iCloud or me.com or Mac.com account, you will never be able to change it back to a third-party email account. Uh, so if you are really attached to having your Gmail account be your handle, if you ever change it to an iCloud handle, you'll never be able to get that again. Um, and if you have... A third part, like you still want third party email to be associated with your account, you can always add it as an additional email address. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you can still, like, if for whatever reason you get locked out of your account, you'll still have a third party email address as your backup if you want it. Um, but it will never be that chief name that you enter. Yeah, I was just logging into mine. AppleID.apple.com has a lot of great stuff on it. Uh, I was looking at my reachable email addresses. So it's my primary Apple ID address. And then I have uh, another email address outside of iCloud altogether uh, that they can reach me at, which is probably not a bad idea. But you can go in here and you can see what devices are associated with your Apple ID. So if you want to walk through this, it kind of gives you a good reminder of, oh, right, I do have that iPod Touch that I use once a month, you know, maybe I need to go grab it um, or have an Apple TV. That's the always the one I forget about in this sort of stuff. So <laughs> we changed our uh, purchasing Apple ID stuff around maybe six months ago. And I totally forgot the Apple TV was tied to that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden on my iPhone, I'm getting, hey, uh, the Apple TV keyboard is up. It wants your password, you know, so uh, that's one that always trips me up. But it's a really uh, it's a really helpful uh, website, you can go in and change all sorts of stuff. You can change your password. You can enable two-factor authentication, which while you're in here, you might as well do. So it's it's a very uh, it's a very useful place to be. Yeah, completely. So good luck with that. Hopefully, it works out okay for you, Eric. All right, our last question, Stephen. Uh, I've got one from Rob for you, and they write: Is there a way to change the thumbnail or album image for the People album when you're using iCloud Photo Library on either the Mac or iOS? 
I've made some poor initial choices, I'm really curious about this, as the thumbnails <laughs> for my people. It seems so simple, but I have not been able to find a setting to change it. Uh, yeah, so it's actually very similar to regular albums. If you're in Photos um, on the Mac, you can you know, go to that People section, select a person. So I go and uh, I select Serenity. I find the picture I want to be that sort of cover image. I right-click on it, and I say Make Key Photo. And uh, that will change on the Mac. And after a couple of minutes, it's a little slow to propagate, it seems like, sometimes. Uh, but it will show up on your iOS devices as long as you're using iCloud Photo uh, to keep everything there. Again, this works the same way as uh, as regular albums. So if you have, you know, all of your pictures from your vacation and photos picked a one you don't really like as the as the as the thumbnail image, you can go in there and find it on the Mac. Right click and say Make Key Photo, and again that um, that syncs around everywhere. And best I can tell. I struggle to find where this is on on <laughs> iOS. Okay, and spoiler alert, I just found it on iOS. And it's where the it? stupidest thing ever. Okay, so if you go into an individual photo and press edit in that person or and press share in that in that file, in that sorry, in that person's area, if you press on an individual okay. photo and then go to share, uh, it is not there uh, in not in that sort of share section. But if you go to an individual person and then in the top right corner, there's a select button and it says select items. So if you go mm-hmm. to the select items and you tap on that photo and then press the share button in here, there is now a make key photo thing. And there's also a not this person tag if you need to remove oh, yeah. somebody from your faces. Uh, so, yeah. I I have been looking for this thing for four years and apparently just found about it on the show. So thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. I think that does it for this week. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Uh, Thank you for listening to this episode of Query. You can find the show notes to everything we've talked about over on the website, relay.fm slash query slash 29. If you have a question or a topic for the show, you can submit it on Twitter with the hashtag AskQuery. In the meantime, you can find Serenity over there at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N. Of course, you can find her writing and more at imore.com. You can find me as ISMH on Twitter, and I write 512pixels.net. And until our next episode, Serenity, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Adios.